Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild as well as Powerlifting Highland Games and uh, just a little bit of everything. So. And with us, we have Vince Andrich. Vince, not to put you on the spot, but maybe just a sentence or two about yourself. I've been involved in uh, bodybuilding and the dietary supplement business. Uh, or industry since uh, the mid 80s right on and that's going to drive our topic of the day everybody after a break uh, we're going to pick Vince's brain a little bit about some of the th- things that he's seen behind the scenes uh, it could be eye opening for some people I hope we have um, our usual news and uh, some of it's fun some of it's just more sciencey. strength and muscle sport news I'm going to start with one real quick uh, about grape juice, actually, that came across my desk this week. This is actually for our female listeners uh, because the study was done in women. Uh, I don't see any reason why this wouldn't also be true in men, but it says grape juice may enhance cognitive ability. A new study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and I went and dug it up. It's Lamport et al. Um, suggests grape juice may enhance cognitive function in individuals under stress. So they talk about how memory function and mild cognitive impairment, right, just sort of general thinking, uh, can have problems and blood pressure can go up when you're under stress or, you know, certainly if you're hypertensive and that sort of thing. So they looked at 25 healthy moms, uh, middle-aged women, with uh, preteen children. So they had to have children young enough to stress them out, I think. (laughs) Uh, And they gave them either... Concord grape juice that had 777 milligrams of polyphenols or an identical placebo for 12 weeks. And then they tested them, right, at baseline and then at 6 and at 12 weeks. And it said verbal and spatial memory, executive function, attention, blood pressure, and mood were assessed. Uh, And there were positive results. So polyphenols get a lot of good attention, I think. And I just want to bring that Uh, that news to everybody, I guess. It says there was evidence of an enduring effect of Concord grape juice such that the participants who received the juice in phase one maintained better performance even when they crossed over to the placebo phase afterward. So some long-term effects on cognitive function and blood pressure. Uh, Interesting stuff. Uh, The next one is about eggs. I almost hesitated to even go look this one up as far as the original reference because I think lifters have not been afraid of eggs for a very long time. But it says cholesterol in eggs may not increase heart attack risk or heart disease risk. This is by Vertanen and colleagues. They're Finnish. Uh, It says a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So that's the journal that comes out of uh, one of my professional groups shows that eggs may not increase the risk for heart disease even among those that carry the gene APOE4, APOE4, which increases sensitivity to dietary cholesterol. So listeners, if you're not familiar, some people are really sensitive uh, to uh, 
like saturated fat, for example, or cholesterol. Uh, but it says the study tracked the dietary habits of over a thousand Finnish men. Uh, they were ages 40 to 60, and they were looking for how many had heart attacks. Uh, the researchers found that on average, the participants consumed 398 milligrams of dietary cholesterol a day. So, again, if you're not familiar, the average egg has about 200 milligrams. Um, it says, after 21 years of tracking, neither egg habits nor overall cholesterol consumption had any bearing on heart attack risk or the risk for hardening of artery walls. So, makes me feel justified. I have my, you know, over easy omega-3 egg almost every morning. So, not too scary with the egg front. And then I'm just going to kind of shotgun these because they're building up on me because uh, Phil and I weren't on last week. But this next one, uh, FDA releases a compliance guide on omega-3 fats. There's been a couple of companies got themselves in a little bit of trouble with their omega-3 claims. Uh, here it says, the final rule from the FDA prohibits claims that a food is, quote, high in DHA or EPA. Synonyms such as rich in or excellent source of DHA or EPA are also prohibited. The final rule also prohibits su such claims for uh, ALA, uh, so alpha-linolenic acid, but takes no action with respect to other forms of ALA. So I guess they're just trying to crack down. Let me give you to this, this to you in English. Um, you have to meet certain requirements to be high in something or an excellent source of something. So to be high, they just did the math for you instead of giving it to you as a percentage. The nutrient claims for at least uh, alpha-linolenic acid, high has to be more than 320 milligrams uh, of ALA, good source over 160 milligrams, and then more uh, just is they have to meet the, the claim 100, over 160 milligrams more right of ALA than an appropriate reference food, than a typical food. So uh, when companies say something is a good source, you know, that's got to be 10 to 19% of the daily value. It's got to be a substantial amount or more. It's got to meet some of these criteria. So they can't just say high in this, rich in that. Uh, so there's no specific claims here about inflammation or mood or anything like that. But uh, there were a couple of, uh, I believe there are food companies and they're getting themselves in a little hot water because they're getting too willy-nilly with the uh, dosing-type claims. And then this last one, uh, because I want to get to Vince as soon as possible here, this is just funny. I'm going to post this link on our Facebook listeners page. Uh, it's a video, Fight Bacteria with Your Beard. Uh, this is real. Uh, it turns out that the GI tract isn't the only place that beneficial microbes are hunkering down providing multiple helpful functions. And in this case, it talks about how bacteria have found ways to kill other competing bacteria. And apparently when they swab a man's beard and they test it, they find some of these beneficial bacteria. And they're very interested in this because apparently it could have a role in fighting antibiotic-resistant bad bacteria, if that makes any sense. So in the constant battle against antibiotic resistance... Uh, now they're turning to men's beards, I guess. So I know a lot of our listeners, powerlifters and whatnot, have beards. So there you go. Another benefit for your beard. The, the microbiome, you know, in your body is not just in your gut. It's even in your beard. So 
that's the sort of shotgun approach to the news. Let's get to Vince here uh, because I really want to see what he has to say. Uh, let's start with your origin story, uh, Vince. Uh, I know you've been in the industry for a long time. You've worked for some big companies, right? Uh, Metrix, I know, uh, EAS, I, I think ProLab. You've been a bodybuilder. So how did you get started in all that? Well, first of all, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, which uh, is a lot different than the Vegas I grew up in. Uh, it's kind of a on and off haven for bodybuilding now, but um, I was always interested in being active, exercise, and sports. Um, then in high school, because of my older sister, I uh, became a health food store regular. And uh, this is, uh, say, 77 uh, to 80. Uh, people were doing the wheatgrass juice and all the cleanses. All the things you see today uh, have been done, most of them, mm-hmm. back then. And I was reading a lot of pop nutrition books macrobiotic diets and whatever trend there was for the day and uh, I think it was probably 1980 might have been right at 80 or 81 or or even sooner but uh, I read the book that really changed my outlook on all of it because I was into vitamins and supplementation very rudimentary and 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 training exercise and training I thought you know this is amazing you can eat different and train a certain way and change the way you look and feel um, that just seemed like a, the idea that would stick your whole life. And uh, so the book that came out, Life Extension, Dirk Pearson, Sandy Shaw, really changed the way I looked at it. It was, okay, maybe there's some science involved in this. You, you thought that there was maybe because you read these pop nutrition books and then you read that and you were like, well, wait a minute, uh, there's, maybe there's more to this. It's not just you know, being healthy, natural, whatever terms they were using at the, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, anti-Western medicine, let's say, and uh, became, uh, I, my family was involved in the casino and restaurant businesses in Las Vegas, and originally I went to school for hotel and business administration at UNLV, but I, uh, I dropped out, and I had the, you know, fitness bug, didn't really know how that was going to pan out. So uh, I, was, I was training, I was working uh, in, in the, that industry, the hospitality industry in Las Vegas, but always, I was training, training like a bodybuilder, but never thought I'd ever compete. And uh, so I wound up competing kind of on a, on a whim with a friend. Actually, he said, go down to San Diego and, and compete because no one will see you. And... Uh, Actually, I should probably go backwards. My sister in 1983, my oldest sister, competed in Miss Nevada. She took second. And uh, so she was the trailblazer in the family, mm-hmm. you know, health food store, and uh, then a muscle and fitness. And, and we kind of followed the same track. Like, wait a minute, you could do these training programs and alter the way you, your physique looks, and you'll feel better as well. And so the diet, nutrition, supplementation, uh, along with specific exercise to change the way you look and feel was really kind of a motif that all the all I've, I've two sisters and a and a younger brother we all followed that even though we lived in the city Las Vegas right. we kind of rebelled against all of that uh, but at any rate that turned into uh, seeing supplement sales after after reading the book and I'm I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Life Extension and how those formulas, many of those formulas were, were marketed by Twin Lab. 
in the early 80s to <laughs> all the way, you know, probably 88 or, or, or further down. And um, I, come to, I found out that from the Blackmans later when I worked with Steve and Twin Labbit, that they had got the galleys of that book and uh, basically made the formulas based on the research that was given in there, although some of it today we know isn't correct. But at any rate, I was, like, uh, I was really fascinated that there was a book out and there were supplements that kind of followed that and mm-hmm. this whole thing was coming together. And uh, shortly thereafter, I began buying supplements and selling them out of my house, um, which was probably a, a typical thing. And then a, fr- a friend of mine and I started a, we were going to open a retail store. We started a distribution company and, um, in Las Vegas. So um, we had no idea what we were doing, but uh, we found out that Twin Lab didn't have a distributor in Las Vegas. And I guess the thing that changed my career was that I called Twin Lab, got a hold of them, begged them to let me sell their product, not knowing how I was going to do it. And they made us a distributor. Uh-huh. And um, I'm, I'm kind of going fast here, but that correlated with my bodybuilding uh, in the mid '80s, and then uh, in I, I had a couple of nice shows. I, I actually went out as Mr. Nevada in 1988. So in Las Vegas, uh, I was pretty much in the middle of most of what the bodybuilders were trying to look at as far as training, supplementation, and everything else. So it was a perfect time for me to be in that where I could make a career out of it and so kind of leverage that into working with Twin Lab as a distributor and other brands at the uh, during that day chipping was big of course Weeder was a big dog and through a kind of an act of a miraculous act I uh, my partner and I were fortunate enough that one of the accounts we had which is actually a mass market account believe it or not in 88 it was a grocery store. Uh, a friend of mine who just did a, on a whim said, I could put Twin Lab in, this, uh, in our store. Oh. And I gave, I gave him some product. He was, a, he was a cyclist, and he lifted weights. And he was like, after a couple of weeks of trying the product, like, I, stuff is amazing. I could, I could sell it in a store. So we started selling to uh, Albertson's grocery stores. And what happened was the management at Weed came in and found out that we had had Twin Lab in there. They'd been trying to get it in there for in the mass market because Weeder was a big mass market mm-hmm. brand. And it forced me to get a relationship with the Weeders and the management of the dietary supplement end of the Weeder group. So in, I guess, a really nice bit of fate there, I met the people at Twin Lab, you know, the brothers and the father at the time, Mr. Bluckman, and uh, then the powers that be at Weeder. So it couldn't have been, I couldn't have been luckier. Wow. And uh, so that was the beginning of it. Uh, my partner and I sold our distribution company, and about, oh, it was about six months later or something like that, Weeder called and said they wanted to hire me, and I eventually moved my, my new, newly born daughter and wife and I to Salt Lake City, and uh, proceeded to be, I was vice president of sports nutrition for them. And that's where the education really began. So throughout this time, I mean, you're, you've always been in shape. I mean, you're a veteran bodybuilder, you know, how, how do you find time to keep doing that? And did you even leverage that in some way? I mean, in your early days, did you ever use your own physique um, as a model in some way or anything like that? Or was the business kept more or less separate, you know, from your, uh, 
you're successful competing, you know? You know, I think that uh, back then it was, you know, we came out of the early 80s where there was the George Eiferman and the, the more of the underground gym thing. We were emerging out of that. And mm-hmm. matter of fact, like in Las Vegas, Family Fitness, if you remember that name, which is now 24-hour uh, and was an offshoot of European health spas, you know, the spa, gym, idea, holiday spa, and these others um, started to show up. And so the underground gym became what it, you know, kind of a dinosaur. And the more mainstream fitness centers showed up. I mean, Gold's Gym was really becoming a powerful player. They weren't mainstream, but they were, at the time, uh, opening gyms all over the place. So it was more accessible. Powerhouse uh, and World, of course. But you had these other gyms, like uh, what you would know now as 24-Hour Fitness, that started showing up and what happened with me and being a competitor is we went in and we we went and leased the juice bars back when they used to lease juice bars out in these gyms they were kind of new to the deal and we would go in and and they'd say oh this is the vince guy who's the bodybuilding guy in town and and i'd say look i can set up a pro shop for you with supplements and everything and they'd say well you know what why don't you just do it and so we leased four right out of the gate Hmm. In Las Vegas, and so I guess that was a uh, certainly a way of leveraging it. My my partner was an amazing marketing guy, and he would really promote the fact that you know his partner was a competitor, and you know, he trained and and he had a great physique as well. But he's it was always like, hey, you know, if you want to know about supplements, talk to Vince. And I have no science background; like I have no really no. Uh, I don't belong on this show when you guys are talking about science. I know enough that about being around it that kind of sniff out BS. But um, back then, there was really no science guys in it, and so if you right. read a lot, you could actually seem you could you could you could be pretty seem pretty bright uh, in the in the big scheme of things. I mean, you, you also had guys at the bigger companies that I mean, the product development was ran at, at Twin Lab by. Steve Blackman, he's no dummy by any means. And Brian Leibowitz back in those days was the scientific advisor. But you didn't have the guys that emerged later like the Dr. Connolly yeah. that jumped in. And then people who were saying, wait, wait a minute. I can make a career of this, so let me get a degree right, <laughs> like right. he did. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, so you went the, the route of actually going through academics and following your love of the sport and, and nutrition and exercise. But at, you'd actually learning the stuff that a lot of guys kind of bootlegged it. And I was one of those guys that kind of was lucky enough to be around the people that were smarter than me, but also I was a consumer, I think, Lonnie. That probably gave me, if anything, the biggest advantage. And so I could say I wouldn't take that. It's like, what are you making that for? It's like no one's going to buy it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. based on science or not. It's like what's the price of it and what's the benefit and can can I swap that out for something else? And it's really kind of the same principles you do uh, use today when you're looking at making a new product, right? Is what's the replacement product? What's special about it? Is there utility to it? Uh, and so it gave me a big advantage talking to these guys who were smarter than me in, as far as either marketing or selling supplements, but they didn't have the consumer side of it. So I guess um, being a bodybuilder and being a consumer, like a guy that trolled the health food store and was ridiculed about it, uh, kind of gave you, gave, gave me at least a sense of 
a background where, you know, someone comes up to me, uh, you know, you see these things today, like, you know, ketogenic or you see, you see clean label uh, initiatives. I mean, these are all old concepts that are, right. re- yeah. that are reborn again. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the products that are and concepts that were especially you know biggest one kind of it's cleanse you know mm-hmm. because I was still in high school doing the the master cleanse right and when people come back you know, thirty years later I'm like that's not new <laughs> it's it, you know, it's been around and so I think these these um, archetypes or these principles of either changing your physique changing your performance cleaning out toxins an alternative you know alternative viewpoint uh, towards uh, the mainstream medicine has always been the, the the magnet, I think, that brings people to the health food store or the specialty store or to bodybuilding in general. You know, you're kind of right. rebelling, saying, wait a minute, you know, I, I should have some muscle. It's more common now, but back, you know, you take it back a few decades and you really kind of were a freak. Right. Yeah. Uh, think that way. Yeah. Well, actually, Vince, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on was your business savvy and your experience, right? Because I think we have some younger listeners, and they don't realize a lot of what is being marketed to them. Like you said, this is already – this mm-hmm. is coming around the second, third time maybe. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not necessarily new. I mean I think about even myself in the – gosh, this would have probably been late 80s, early 90s, but – all the big buzz was around arginine. You know, it's going to make everybody huge, the amino acid. And it's funny. It, it, it Then it was with a growth hormone mechanism. More recently, it's about vasodilation. But the point is, you know, it didn't make anybody look like a professional bodybuilder then. And I don't care what the proposed mechanism is now from science. It's, you know, I'm not saying it does nothing. But, you know, it's just they spin it in different ways. And uh, they don't realize a lot. Of, or like you said, the cleanse thing. Or there's so many so many examples, and you've lived through that stuff, you know, and I'll tell you what, this will make you feel good, but a lot of what we're doing in academics now, uh, yeah, we're trying to get the baseline science courses down, but we're sending students out to where the rubber hits the road and trying to get them industry experience, you know, so, I mean, that's just invaluable stuff, and that's the kind of thing that uh, Phil and I have pushed on the show almost from day one, you know, there's different ways to get educated, and, uh, you know, that kind of real world experience in the business world or like you said with marketing gosh if you left that up to the science guys uh, they'd make some hideous mistakes because like you said they don't always think like a consumer you know they're thinking about um, the underlying formula or something and they get lost in that you know so it's really good to have someone like you on uh, let's let's go to break here just for a minute. Uh, I know Phil's pressed for time this morning, and then we'll have our discussion. We're sort of drifting in that way already, uh, and we're going to talk about behind the scenes in uh, bodybuilding and supplement industry over the years. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you. Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. 
this can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> your weekly fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it Okay, everybody, we're back from break. Um, again, we got Vince on the line with us here. Today, joining us, we're going to talk about inside of the supplement industry. So um, basically had some a few open-ended questions that we're hoping are going to lead to you know some great stories and stuff like that. But the first one that we have down here is what lessons have you learned working with the dietary supplement companies or the bodybuilding industry in general? That's a, that's a good one. I would say, I, I kind of, we started talking about things that have been here before and kind of resurged or had a had a had a, a rebirth under maybe a different uh, an ingredient under a different uh, uh, proposed mechanism of of where it would work. Uh, you mentioned, I believe, it was arginine, originally GH releaser, and then uh, NO2 or nitric oxide booster. Uh, the uh, w one of the big things you learn, I think, being around this a long time, is that uh, what's new can be old, and uh, what's new is a big deal for the consumer because they're looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty pretty regularly in in fitness and bodybuilding uh, with regard to supplementation, and I think they look for the same as far as bodybuilding as a, or have, uh, bodybuilding as a sport. Like, you get these, you get these uh, snapshots in time where the golden era bodybuilders looked a certain way. They were kind of looked different. You had Arnold Franco, uh, Frank Zane, uh, Draper, those guys. They looked, they were muscular, but they had a 
kind of their own archetype as far as how they look. Mm-hmm. Then you moved into uh, guys that uh, I think the early 80s was still a little bit of a golden era where you had the Bob Paris and the Barry DeMay and those guys. Right. Yeah. Nice, nice physique. It probably ended right about Dorian. Uh, or maybe well, pre, maybe pre Dorian, but then it became okay. How much muscle can I pack on this frame, and how much, uh, and, and, you know, how dense can I look? And uh, you know, I think when you do that to the human body, it starts to be they they start to look a little similar because agreed, yeah, yeah, right. And so, yep. but that became a trend, right? The trend before that was like okay, I think it was very, I think it was very appealing. Uh, what the weeders did, which was, you know, look, if you're a short guy or you're taller or you're, you tend to be an ectomorph or you're maybe a big guy and you need to get leaner, you could still compete in bodybuilding, right? Because a place for you, because there's different physiques. Uh, as it moved toward, you know, the, the early 80s, you still had some of that and you had some personality with it. You didn't really lose the personalities as the guys got bigger and it was the, the, the you know, clarion call was, how big can you be and how dense and yeah. muscular could you be? Yeah. And I think the artistry maybe went out. That's for me personally. Uh, but it was m- more muscle and how grainy or lean can you be? And then we see now where the physique category in bodybuilding has really kind of overshot uh, the bodybuilding category in general, mm-hmm. uh, as, especially on the local and state levels. Which is really, I mean, the physique guys, they'll say that guys don't have any legs. Some do. I mean, they could be bodybuilders in the 80s, most yeah. of those guys, if mm-hmm. you look at them. Mm-hmm. The people don't know that because they're standing next to a guy who's got uh, 70 pounds more muscle on their frame. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember being at one of the John Lindsay shows. in. in oh, yeah, yeah. In, so, in SoCal. <laughs> and and my, our old company used to, we used to promote stuff with John in the late 80s. It was like 89, and uh, he was just starting. But you see, uh, when there was uh, the physique guys, I, you know, I, I thought, okay, here's a resurgence because it's more attainable, at least it seems like it, and uh, more appealing maybe to, the, to uh, the lifestyle that I think a bodybuilder at first wants to, or, or the benefit that they want to get out of the physique, which is to stand out in a crowd and not be looked at as a mutant. Now, yeah. I, there's nothing against being the big, big, big guy, in my view. It's fine. But um, for the general population, you know, I think that it becomes, especially because we now know about the performance-enhancing drugs with all the sports that have been revealed, and, and we, you know, bodybuilders have kind of been a walking um, advertisement right. for poster boy, using, yeah, yeah, using some chemical enhancement. So it becomes kind of a black eye, but uh, you know, you see now that it's going back toward the kind of a classic look, if you can call it that. And I think classic bodybuilding is now coming back, uh, as what I heard, uh, as a category. I don't know how they're going to do that, but yeah. So what's new is kind of old, and it kind of like fashion. It 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 can repeat, right? Uh, it's like skinny tie, fat tie, right? Lean guy with lines versus really big guy, and then it could go back again. Like, wow, well, that's a really nice physique. And um, I think both of the the supplement industry and the bodybuilding industry, they both kind of correlate with that, which is looking for something that's new. And I think there's 
something to be said for the newness or it's like I haven't seen that before and especially if you haven't been a historian of it you're like wow that's different so right, if you right. were dropped into the mix and when when Dorian you know a couple of years into Dorian's run you're like oh my goodness look at these this, look at this mm-hmm. type of physique this is unbelievable but you didn't see the ones before that right so you didn't have really appreciation for it maybe but Right, understood. You know, you said something that made a lot of sense to me is one of the things I think that made bodybuilding more uh, maybe interesting to young men, at least, I mean, I first got involved in, it was 83, actually, but it was just what you said. If you're bottom heavy, there's Tom Platts to be your hero. You know, if if you're more of a svelte guy and you like the artistry and the proportion, then Zane was someone you could aspire to. And, and it, with the escalation with the growth factors and everything, and like you said, it's sort of the Dorian era. Um, it, it does have sort of a cookie-cutter effect, and it leaves a lot of young men. Some really still dig on that, and like you, I still really appreciate the ridiculous, huge, grainy, hard physiques. I mean, I, I've seen some videos of Dorian. Uh, it was in one of those European Grand Prix. Oh, my God, just inhuman. And I, that's really appealing to me because I, I sort of – escalated along with the sport maybe but i think to the average guy coming in looking for something uh someone to look up to someone to emulate the guys are so far removed you know that i don't even know if you could aspire to that and like you said they're kind of similar you smack enough beef on a physique and it's you know enough mass and it's gonna start the weaknesses just get covered up in a sense you know and i, I don't know it's it makes sense to me that uh, like you said almost from a consumer perspective it was almost more appealing when you had the the short guy Franco thick. You know, you had Arnold and his very unique physique, or or Platts or Zane, and these guys look very different. And I never thought about it really until you just said that. That from a a, cons- a fitness bodybuilding consumer perspective, that was good for the sport. You had this sort of pantheon of different deities. You know, no right. And you when you bring up Platts, it it made me smile because it's like there was a place for you. You could be that guy you could emulate that as a as your hero because maybe we're you're limited genetically to look like zane uh and i think that 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 got a lot of people into it um originally but not to change your train of thought but i think when you went to the bigger guys you know the the grainier and all that that's uh, that was that might have been in retrospect better if you still had guys that came in there like Flex Wheeler and uh, maybe well maybe the Bob Paris and go back to DeMay De and mm-hmm. that those physiques still would be able to go you know what I'm not sure what they're going to pick today they might right. go for the guy with the really nice lines true yeah yep. but when it became an all out war then then you the other people couldn't get the mic and I I thought that it was smart in a sense because I remember a guy come up to me and he says. Like, these guys are so big, and you know he had a good physique, and he was trying to make sense of like the how it kind of it, it went so far, and I'm like a part of that is good business. In other words, if I can be the big guy, like the really big guy, and I can come in and shock people and get the crowd, you know, ginned up, that could be great for for business because my, one guy might go, you know what, I'm the big guy, I want to be the big guy. But if you take the smaller guy or the classic look or one of these other archetypes off the table, then it becomes a one-man show again. 
you know, it's just like if you always pick the guy like Zane, you go, okay, it's going to be that guy. He's always going to win. And I can't be him, so I can't play. Um, so the, the, the mixture, of, and, and, and a lot of people maybe don't like it because they're like, oh, that guy's not big. He's not a bodybuilder. Well, if you kind of look at it in the context of we want more participants, you would say, that's okay. My guy didn't win or my, arc, my, you know, my body type didn't win. But you know what? That's not going to stop me from training because maybe next year. It'll be uh, mm-hmm. the year for, mm-hmm. for that look, right? And um, I, they may be going back to that at some point, right, where they're like, wait a minute, there's a whole kind of range here that, that, that can be considered bodybuilders. And, it, and instead of making it so one way, um, maybe there'd be more of a mix. And it'd be kind of fun going, hey, man, I'm betting on this horse, not that one, because that's the style I like. Um, right. You know, I think some of the guys got almost a little bitter. I remember Labrada before he left the sport, he was his placings were down around fourth and fifth place. And, you know, I really liked his physique. I'm not as short as he is, but, you know, he's that sort of he was sort of a combination of Franco and Zane in, in the sense that he was very proportionate, but he wasn't a real tall guy. And and I remember him saying uh, mass, of course, is an important part of bodybuilding, but not to the exception of everything else. And so I'm going to retire kind of thing you know i mean and he he was smart in that from a business perspective i think he retired on top more or less you know he didn't wait till his placings were down falling off the bottom of the of the chart kind of thing uh but it was interesting to watch that transition you know what i mean and even even from the competitor's point of view they were aware that it was becoming an all-out arms race for mass kind of thing and you know and that kind of stuff but let me ask you a few more of these questions then so it, we've already touched on the idea that uh, there has been sort of a golden era with more variety in physiques and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you also alluded, I think, that maybe physique might be one of the directions that the future is going, right? Do you think the supplement industry is going to follow that with maybe more fat-burning kinds of stuff? Or are those guys still super jazzed about muscle mass gains? You know what I mean? What's, what, what's the future hold for uh, like on the, the marketing side? I think well, you you hit on a really kind of a, a, a sweet spot, which is what are the benefits that are beholden to someone who wants to build their body? We don't even want to say bodybuilder, let's say. Um, they want to build muscle and they want to have less body fat. Those two will always carry the day. To what level, it's anybody's guess, depending on maybe the era. But I, I, I don't believe that, for one – uh, training is going to go out of style in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think the industries have seen their golden era because they'll just evolve. And I think that with the you start seeing the physiques that come out of, and I'm not a CrossFit guy, but you see the physiques that are being promoted as athletic. Um, I think it's making people, it, it woke up the NPC for sure and said, wait a minute, our guys just look like mutants. So I mm-hmm. think that the, the industry, because the benefits of training and nutrition are so great, right? To be able to change your physique um, being, I think, paramount, right? When someone trains, I'm not a big believer that they go, well, wait a minute, you know, um, my performance just went up. If you're really training, especially if you're training and you're, and you're watching what you eat, you kind of want to make sure that either your, you know, your, your weight's coming down, if you're powerlifting or whatever, you're going to make the weight. And if you're training... Um, for cosmetic reasons, you're going to get out of the shower and look at your abs probably and go, is this working? Mm-hmm. 
you're, you're not really going to go, well, anyway, my, my times are better. That's great. It's a, that's really good, but that's a kind of a, a, another reality. And uh, I was involved with some brands that did CrossFit. Actually, Dr. Connolly did one. And, and I was there. People were like, oh, yeah, I got my time down. I got my time down, time, time. And there's a guy who's has, uh, really early on was you know friends with Coach Glassman. And he's like, look, these people can tell you all they want about doing a, a better friend. He's like, they want to look better, too. Mm-hmm. Don't let them kid you. Mm-hmm. And so is there a golden era? Is it, has it seen it? I don't think so because I think uh, there's nothing more powerful than uh, eating right and training. And it, it's not going to go out of style. So we're going to continue to see this evolution and more people are going to get into it. There, there may be another golden era where you see, oh, hey, I'm a physique guy or I'm a crossfit guy or I'm an athlete. Uh, you know, before you could market athletes, but most of them had their uniform on, so they didn't really do much for supplement brands. Uh, it was a big, big thing for us at different, or me rather, at different companies. It's like they'd say, and Metrics was the biggest defender. They'd say, well, we signed so and so, you know, Mo Vaughn. I'm like, well, that's great, but he, he is a really big guy. He doesn't fit what Metrics is supposed to be: build muscle, lose fat. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's great that he hits home runs, but you're trying to market him in a in a place that doesn't make sense to consumer. And you know, EAS does a really good job of saying, "Look, we're here to transform your body. That's really what we're about." And so their messaging made sense um, to more people. Right? This is what we do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. The products and the training are kind of secondary. That you know, the big so what is you're going to change your life because you're going to look better and right, feel better. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you get a lot more people to embrace it if they say, "Oh, these these benefits are going to be really worth the agony." Because it's, you know, not eating garbage and I don't want to even say garbage, but watching your nutrition uh, and being regular as far as training, it isn't for everybody. You have to have a big hairy goal, and I think that's when Joe. Early on, was going at it with Hoffman, um, and and the, you know the powerlifting, weight training versus bodybuilding. He picked the bodybuilding, and that won for the day for that time, mm-hmm. which was, which was I'm going to put this effort in, and man, I'm going to look good at the barbecue. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you know working with Joe was really an eye opener because he he would continually say that you know your consumers are very 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 uh, selfish. And you got to tell them what they're going to get. And the, probably the biggest prize is look better. And it doesn't mean you're going to go on stage. It means maybe at the barbecue, someone goes, what do you do, Lonnie? Right. Yeah. Well, I lift some weights. And it's like, wow, I wish I could do that, right? And I think that's what travels the best. It's like you look really a lot different than you used to. And, you know, what are you doing, Phil? Well, here's what I'm doing. Right. And, and, and you know, that, Vince, because maybe of uh, Phil's involvement with the show – uh, I've been really woken up more and more on the powerlifting and performance side. And like you said, with CrossFit and everything else, how does performance, do you think, fit into all this? I mean, I know those guys, they want to look good, but I can tell you that the value system is a little bit different with young men that I see these days. They're very performance-driven, I think. But you're you're suggesting they still want to look good. I mean, that's in unavoidable human nature. Well, you know what? I think that underlying is it's it's really powerful to look better mm-hmm. but i think over and all uh you know i certainly crossfit has changed and power you know power lifters have always had this performance thing yeah. uh yeah. you know 
from what I what I what little I do know, the, the guys that have done you know that as their as their gig. The when I got involved with the CrossFit people, uh, you know, a friend turned me on to it, and he's I, I was like, what is this? And I liked it because it was you know supposedly high intensity, and that and then I kind of like a lot of people were like questioning the the protocols that they put together. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I get it now. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, be ready for anything. Okay. I got it. But, but, and you're right. They do hold those numbers and I'm not sure if the numbers, well, I think originally the numbers were almost the performance part of it was almost a ant antithesis of the bodybuilding. Cause mm-hmm. there was a lot of guys that were tried to bodybuild, not, not bodybuild competing wise. Maybe some did, but you, I would see them at the CrossFit Games and stuff, and it's like they rather do this because they thought that you know numbers don't lie, right? So it was yeah. it was less subjective, right? And so that's great, and I think there's a place for that, and I think it's actually growing, and I but I think that the the people that they put out there as just really probably by default, the people that wind up doing well are going to have probably a better physique. Uh, and they're certainly not going to be bodybuilders, let's say, all of them. Although you do see some freaks, you're like, that guy was a bodybuilder. Yeah, right? you, yeah no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> knocks out 50 pull-ups, and you're just like, what? Right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't disagree that the performance aspect is coming more into the fray. I mean, I even MMA, that, you know, I mean, there's a lot, of, a, a lot of that sort of thing. But you know what I've always kind of thought was – uh, on here on our podcast, we really kind of champion muscle sports, strength sports in general, because I think a lot of it goes back to what you said earlier, like this self identity kind of thing. Like if you get someone who might be, uh, he's not a hugely built guy with hands like catcher's mitts, you know, but he's got great proportions, little joints. I mean, bodybuilding, uh, could be exactly his sport where if you get another guy who's thicker waisted, maybe he's sloped shoulders, who knows? He just doesn't have the proportion to be pretty, but he's strong as an ox. Those guys might gravitate towards something they'd be good at, like powerlifting, you know? So I, it, I'm just sort of, I guess, reiterating what you were saying about a lot of this is, Hey, how do I fit into this? You know, no, this yeah. And, and a lot of it is, uh, let's, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk over the years of, you know, bodybuilders, uh, I'll just use that, but as being insecure, uh, you know, they were the guy that maybe was skinny or maybe was overweight or whatever. Uh, and some were just, they, they just gravitated to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is an identity thing. It's something to be able to say, look, I'm here. It's almost like a tattoo now, you know, they're really yeah. commonplace now. Yeah. They weren't before. And I think if we, as a group championing, Muscle really is one of the pillars of a fountain of youth, if there is one. Uh, that's the, the key. I mean, when people were knocking CrossFit, I was like, you know what? They're doing something, and they're going after it. So mm-hmm. God bless them. That's great. And I think that they're, you know, it's fine to have these little fiefdoms where I would never be a bodybuilder or I would never be a CrossFitter. That makes people feel good. It's like some kind of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but at the end of the day, if we promote the fact that you know getting out there and going after it, building some muscle, uh, and at an early age and on, uh, I think we'll have a lot. That's probably more powerful than any other tool we have right now to fight off the 
the scourge of the diseases and the healthcare costs and all that stuff because that's part of the the big part of prevention and right i mean exercise right, yeah. Yeah. and if you're if you're doing something that's fairly intense you should build build some muscle right, right. um which metabolically does a lot of miracle, miraculous things uh more than supplements tongue in cheek but um right. you know nothing beats exercise i mean i no true i know it's true i even you know i've said that to a few people they're like you're a nutritionist how can you not say nutrition trumps everything i'm like well if there's no training stimulus there's no sports nutrition. There is no sports in the sports nutrition. You know, there's got to be a stimulus for your body to change, you know, and uh, it, it's got to be more than just, uh, you know, the nutrition side of things. I don't know, but. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, I was with uh, a, a company that is, you know, they, they, their platform was geared toward fitness people. It started very, very popular. I could tell you a very popular nutrition bar uh, today, probably it's still the most popular protein bar. Yep. And I worked yep. with them yep. about three years and they started, they're very fitness oriented, the owners, right? And they're like, yeah, the, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to shoot for the fitness people that don't want to eat junk in a bar. And then later it was like, well, you know what? We want to kind of soften that. And I said, well, that's great. However, don't lose sight of the fact that the people that come in that door with the intent of changing the way they look and feel through nutrition and exercise are the heart and soul of any brand that's ever walked in this field mm-hmm. in, sub, in, mm-hmm. in nutrition, in performance nutrition slash supplements. No, no one comes through the side door and says, oh, I'm for everyone. It just doesn't work. It will not work. doesn't work. All the packaged goods guys, and I'm, I get on my, kind of my pulpit now, but I've been around so many brands that bring in the CPG people, you know, consumer packaged goods marketers, and again, they are used to marketing toothpaste. Everyone arguably has brushed their teeth. They have not dieted down to 5%. Right. They have not put 300 pounds on their back and tried to do reps with it. They just haven't. It's a whole different mindset. And if you lose sight of the fact that those people have made a conscious decision or the, the people that have made a conscious decision to use these tools, the nutrition, the supplements, and the training to make a change – those are, the, they're the, those are the ones that affect everyone because they never go out of style. There's always – Joe told me this. Joe Weider said there's always a 16-year-old that wants to get more muscle or lose fat. Every day there's hundreds of thousands of them awakening. And, and it could happen at any age now, right? You awaken and you say, you know what? i got to make a change. You walk into a health food store or you start looking for information and you don't go to a grocery store, you don't go to Walmart, you don't ask those people to get you in shape. So you can't the, – the brands can't come from there. It will never happen. It's impossible. You know, Vince, what's, what's interesting to me about what you're saying right now is it's, it's almost full circle because I asked you, you know, how your bodybuilding affected how people would listen to you, you know, in your early career. And in a way now, it seems like your insight, because you're a bodybuilder – uh, it makes you sort of a CME, like a, a content matter expert in that these big marketers, they don't understand, like you were saying, what it's like to diet down that far to 5% or to put 300 pounds on your back. These are things that you understand very intimately, you know, and that makes you valuable, just like it did back when they were saying, oh, Vince, he's the local bodybuilder guy. Listen to him, you know, except it's more on, a, on maybe a bigger corporate level. Uh, but I think it's, it's interesting. It, it shows some level of worth to the kinds of things that we do. You know, like you said, so many people will look at bodybuilding like it's freaky or niche or this or that. And yet 
you have unavoidable messages because you've lived through it that if they want to market something like a health bar successfully, they really better listen to you. You know what I mean? Because you've been in the trenches like that. So I think well, that's I, inter- interesting. No, I, I really appreciate that. But the, the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is if you see, look at a brand like Vega, right, uh, that was just sold, you know, all based on vegetarian formulations and things like that. Again, if you're in that, I will call it, for lack of a better term, the religion of being a vegan, okay, and yep. you, that's your belief system, right? There's products for them, but they're not for everyone. You know, the, the, the mistake that these brands make a lot of times, and uh, just as a, my personal opinion, is they go, well, wait a minute. We sold this. Let's say it's metrics. We sold these fitness people. Oh, well, we could do way better than that. Well, maybe you can't. Yeah. Maybe you yeah. can't. Okay. You just uh, – so sometimes understanding your limitations and actually being proud of the fact that you have really serious maybe fitness people or serious wannabes. The market's really made up of people who have intent. They may not look anything like a fitness person, but you don't know what's going on in their head. Their intent is to look better. So they're as serious as the next guy, the guy that has the great physique or the great numbers of the powerlifter or whatever in CrossFit. They could they have that same mindset. starts in your head, right? Mm-hmm. And if they have that intent, they're a great customer because they're going to read everything. And I hear it all the time now. You know, people don't read anymore. Sure, they do if they're interested in it. If you want to gain muscle, you'll read. Right. And you know okay, what? You... <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say it, I think there was because you mentioned reading. I think in a lot of ways the publication industry obviously it has a intimate relationship with uh, supplement sales and that sort of thing because supplement sales would underwrite the different magazines. And but at least in my experience, there was often talk of. Oh, you know, going mainstream is going big time. You know, like that's a goal in some people's minds. And I've always been more of a niche person myself. And I, I kind of like what you're saying, I think, is maybe we can't go mainstream because all the things that we bank on people wanting or the people we're familiar with, you know, we're, it's a stab in the dark with the gen pop because they're not us, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there was uh, that a brand that said, hey, you know, we want to be a food company, we want to be craft. And I'm like, I came out of my chair. I'm like, well, you'll never be craft. Yeah. Why would you want to be craft? They sell crackers. Right. Okay, first of all, you sell protein. You're already in a different category. You're not going to be, you know, I've had these, not that bar company, but others say, oh, you know how many Nutrigrain bars are sold? I'm like, yeah, there's no protein in them. How are you comparing that? It's not a comparison. You forgot what you're selling. Right. You're looking at the food form and you're going, oh, yeah, people put it in their lunches. Well, they're not going to do it if there's 20 grams of quality protein in there. The cost, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. And that, yeah. I, I think that that's where, uh, you know, at some, maybe on another show, we'll go through the, you know, the, the behemoth brands that went mainstream and, you know, a lot of the times the owners do well, and, and sometimes uh, the, the company that acquires them or the people that acquire them go, I'm smarter than those guys. I can bring this everywhere. But they don't understand it enough. Without a specialty product, you know, you know, without a general product, there is no specialty product. Yeah. So if you're trying to make yeah. yourself general, you lose, you already lost your identity. You're not special anymore. How could you be? It's an oxymoron. Right. And um, right. so. I love this the the industry the fact that yeah it is a niche and I think with the uh, the way 
people consume information now, there's more room for niches. You know, you're, you're going to see people go, you know, I like products that are for athletes. Yep. There'll be a place for that because they can coalesce around an idea now versus maybe changing the way your physique look was probably the bigger driver for supplement sales. At least in my career, that's always been the case. But it's gonna ch- it can change because people now can go, you know what? I feel and look better. My identity is associated with this stuff. Um, kind of similar. I exercise and I eat right and I supplement. But my goals and my mindset might be different. And the rules of what I think are important are different. But they're in the same kind of game. And they're not going to the grocery store to get their advice. If I can right. – uh... Right. Go ahead. No, yeah. If I if I can open this up to our listeners, it, I mean, you could take um, a page out of Vince's book here. I think and think about you know what groups do you identify with, right? If your fiefdom or your religion or your niche or your body type is one kind or another, sometimes it's nice to think from a consumer perspective. How are you being marketed to? You know, I mean, I have whole books on consumer behavior and marketing. You know, and these guys are. They're clever. They're studying you, man. You know, they're doing focus groups. And so sometimes it's, again, maybe just a shout out to our listeners to give some thought as to, you know, what is your identity or your religion, quote unquote. Uh, That's really good. That's really good info, I think, for uh, for our listeners. Okay, I'll tell you what, Vince, I would love to get you back on because I want to ask you about specific stories from your career, right? But I don't want to put you on the spot and make you think of them all at once. So if, if you're cool with that, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll set you up. We'll get you back on uh, and do a little bit more interviewing. Of course. Anytime. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, everybody, we are out. Uh, Phil stepped out. I don't know if our listeners know, but Phil is dealing with uh, another injury, you know, like any <laughs> middle-aged powerlifter pushing the numbers he does. Uh, I'll let him tell everybody about it uh, next time, but he was good enough to show up and be on the show at all, uh, and he's not one to complain. You guys know that, so uh, he didn't say much about it, but we'll we'll uh, follow up with him next week as well. So, Okay. Uh, one last thing real quick, Vince. Is there anywhere uh, listeners can reach you if they want to learn more about you, a website or uh... – Yeah, I mean you can go andridgefitness.com. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, A-N-D-R-I-C-H fitness.com and um, there's uh, there's writings there from time to time actually fairly regular um, and anybody ever want to email me you can find a button there to send me a note love to talk to consumers uh, you know people in the industry and all that it's always a learning experience no awesome. matter what uh, level you're touching uh, from consumer to business right Good. Yeah, we have not had a lot of uh, business people on, but I think it's, especially with your history, you know, it's just it's just eye-opening kind of stuff. So, Okay, well, we'll Great. see everybody next week. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for phil one for fortress and one for myself dr lowry and they're thematic so you can go into our halls of iron store and choose based on your goal if you need something to learn or read or something nutritional you can look in my store uh, lonnie's store if you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition then take a look at phil's 
Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.